This week on The Vertcast, we talk about Apple's earnings, the future of the iPhone business, talk about Pixel 4 and its forthcoming face unlock. We get into the new Josh Hawley bill that would put a timer on your social media, so this is true. We talk a little bit about T-Mobile, Verizon 5G, and the Galaxy Note 10 is coming. That's The Vertcast coming up now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Vox Media Empire, a growing empire which will one day come to your city, hmm. but like benevolently, like in a fun way. Does that make you Palpatine? Uh, but in a fun way. <laughs> I thought it was like a, a race to 5G reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's happening whether we want it to or not. <laughs> which is also a Palpatine thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sort of. I don't want to get into it. I'm Neelai. Hi. Dieter's here. Hello. Paul Miller's here. Hello. It's a big week. Addie Robertson's going to join us around the halfway mark to talk about uh, another Josh Hawley bill in the Senate. This one, this is true. This is a true thing we're going to talk about. It's a bill that would require all social media platforms to limit your usage to 30 minutes a day by default. And then even if you change it, reset it every month uh, to protect you from, from, yeah. from YouTube uh, and Twitter, which I'm you know, not saying it out loud. Maybe a good idea. Anyway, Eddie's going to come by. We're going to talk about that. There's a big trend going on with that stuff. But before we do that, there's tech company news in this world. It has been two weeks of nonstop earnings. I think last week on the show, Google earnings broke while we were taping. This week, we've, we've waited it out. Apple earnings have happened. Third quarter. Dieter, walk us through. So the big news is that the iPhone no longer accounts for more than half of Apple's revenue. For the first time since, I think it was 2012, they're making more money off everything else than they are on just the iPhone. And there's two ways to look at this. Oh my God, the iPhone is failing, blah. Uh, the other way to look at it is, hey, they, they finally have a diversified business and not just an iPhone company. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> they are still yeah. just an iPhone company. I, I love you, iPad. I love you, Mac. Apple TV, you're fine, except for your remote. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like th during the analyst calls that came later, you know, in the back half of the, the financial results call, one of the analysts sort of like tiptoed up to like asking a question about, hey, so all these services that you're doing, uh, what, what, what about, you know, offering services not for the iPhone? And Tim was like, well, you know, Apple Music is on Android and the Apple TV does exist, but look. And then he went on like a three minute tear on how much 
headroom there is to sell services to iPhone customers. They've got, you know, a billion something monthly users. Uh, he talked actually quite a bit about the fact that there's a secondary market for iPhones, which means that like, don't just look at our sales quarter to quarter, but also look at what like used iPhone sales look like. Cause we can also sell to those people. And just the, the sense that I got at the end of it was don't expect the Apple watch to work with Android anytime in the near future. Don't expect iMessage on Android ever. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, like they believe, I think pretty strongly that they don't need to expand out beyond iPhone with their services in a really meaningful way. They've got Apple TV on, you know, a bunch of smart TVs. Uh, but beyond that, uh, they're just sort of like that. It seems ridiculous. It doesn't even enter their worldview that they would offer their services on, on Android. So the top line here is iPhone growth continues to slow. So they yeah. still sell a lot of phones. I, I feel like we always... It's easy to miss this with Apple. They sell an enormous number of phones at very high prices. Yes. The issue is they they're like year over year they're down some like 10 12%, right? And that just for phones. Like year over year that I think that their overall revenue is still increased year over year. Right. Um which but, means they get to say best quarter ever like they usually do. But yes, the phone revenue is decreasing. The phone revenue is decreasing, the sales are decreasing, and there's some they don't break out how many they sell anymore. So it's mm -hmm. hard. Phone revenue decreasing could be a function of, well, they put out the 10R, they're selling cheaper phones than last time around, right? Like there's a whole mix of things in that equation. But the, the very top line is phone revenue is down, which implies sales are down, and services and wearables revenue is up. So they're right. they're getting more money out of every iPhone customer, right? But the 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 thing is, like, you look at that graph, like, the iPhone is trending down, revenue is trending up. At some point, you know, they they meet, and or revenue on, on services is trending up. At some point, they meet, but like, there's a cap to how much they can make on services in theory, and that cap is how many iPhones are there and how many people that own iPhones are willing to pay for Apple services. And so that's why, you know, you, you look at the global market and Android has 85 something percent market share. So it's like, well, obviously that's like where the real money is. Um, but I think from Apple's perspective, you know, when they brought the iPod to Windows, it was like, y'all, you got to do something. The Mac is like, fine, but it's not doing that great. And like, you, you, you got to do something to sell more stuff. And so it felt sort of, inevitable or necessary for the company to bring the iPod to Windows because it, you know, it, it brought in a huge customer base that they didn't have before. And I just don't think Apple feels any kind of real pressure to do that with their services business. Uh, I think they're, they're just fine uh, telling their shareholders to chillax. We're making plenty of money uh, selling services to iPhone users. Yeah. So just to pull it apart service by service, Tim Cook is saying, we haven't maximized the amount of money we can make on services just with our installed base. Right. So you're saying there's there's a there's a revenue line and there's an installed base line. At some point they intersect. Great. Tim Cook is saying we're really far away from that intersection. Yep. Okay. Well, that's fair, right? They don't feel pressure to go beyond what they need to do. But then in some places they obviously feel that pressure. In particular, they're 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 content businesses. So right. Apple Music is on Android, Apple TV Plus whatever it is, iTunes, <laughs> movies, and TV shows. It just launched on Vizio TVs. AirPlay yep. 2 is on, on a whole bunch of TVs, Samsung TVs, LG TVs, what have you. So there, there clearly is some pressure, mm -hmm. right, to like get the content business wide because I don't think you can get Oprah to just be on iPhones. 
right? right. She wants to be on all the TVs. And I don't think you can get Taylor Swift. Although Taylor Swift has a Spotify deal now, so clearly they couldn't get her anymore. But I don't <laughs> think you can get I don't know Chance the Rapper is like a big Apple Apple deal maker. Yeah. You can't. He doesn't want to just be on iPhones. He wants to be on all this stuff. Right. So that's the split, right? iMessage and other Apple Apple. What's it called? Game Arcade? Arcade Studio Apple Plus? Apple Arcade, yeah. Uh, Max Arcade Plus 5G. Um, Just, uh, we need, I, 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 this is a side tangent, but we need more words besides Plus, Max, XL, what's the other one that we get? Go. Yeah. Now. Like, well, those I'm are naming all, like, the next kid Go. Now. Yeah. Those are the only five <laughs> words you're allowed to append to the end of your product that mean that it's bigger or you have to pay a subscription for it. And we just remember, we just need more words. Remember when it was extreme and it just started with an X? There's yeah, no yeah. E. I'm just glad that we're done with Ultra. Like Ultra's gone. That's great. No, that means anyway. it, it, it's it's just in hiding. It'll come back. <laughs> it's just you know, it fell it's out like, of fashion. It's like bell bottoms. Well, Ultra's like a groundhog. If it pops up and it sees shadow, it goes away. <laughs> so Apple Apple has services that are designed to monetize its install base and then there has services that seem designed to trap its install base yeah would you agree yes sure absolutely so iMessage is designed to trap you but they don't charge for iMessage right, right. well I mean I don't know how many iMessage sticker packs you've bought Paul but I've <laughs> I've been thoroughly monetized oh I for- I totally forgot about sticker packs oh wow I was going to say, does anybody feel trapped by Apple News? No. Uh, but- when I use it, I do. I, I want to get out. <laughs> yeah. When I get a li- an Apple News link and it opens up Apple <laughs> News instead of a web browser, I feel very trapped. But otherwise, right. no. Apple. I mean, they have to make but that Neil better. Neil, I might, because he pays for it and like you know reads a Vogue article once a week or something. Right? Vanity Fair. It's always Vanity Fair. And the, the multi-step click process to go from Twitter to Apple News yeah. is uh, a nightmare. Uh, yeah. And certainly not worth my $10 a month, which I should immediately cancel and put into Max's college fund. What am I doing yeah. with my money? So, look, I've said this before. I will say it again right now. You should not care how much money Apple makes. You, unless you are a stockholder, a major stockholder, you shouldn't care. You should only care about this discussion insofar as it affects what kind of products Apple makes and if they make your life better or worse. And so the, the looming question has always been, when Apple becomes a services-first company and makes more money off services than it does off of selling iPhones, will that change the way that it makes products? Will they be scammier? Will they like take their eye off the ball on design? Will they do stuff that is user-hostile in some way? Will, you know, I don't know, they, they make random deals that are stupid and annoying, but you have to live with them because that's what they offer you. Well, they set the default search to Bing. Yeah, right. So, so far, the answer is, yeah, it's like it's annoying around the edges, but it doesn't seem fundamentally like they have. Neil, I, Paul, you might have a different answer. Uh, but I think one thing that's worth watching, keeping a really close eye on, is the launch of the Apple Card, uh, which, by the way, they announced is happening next month, this this or this month now, in August. Because the more I think about it, the more annoyed I am with the Apple Card. Why? People seem so stoked about it. It's fine. It's What is it? You get 3% on Apple purchases, 2% if you use the Apple Pay on the phone, and 1% if you use the card. Is that the breakdown? Something like that. I mean, the, the Apple purchases one, to me, is so funny. It's like... How much money do you spend at the Apple store <laughs> on a regular yeah, basis right. to make that extra? Like, how many AirPods can you buy, man? <laughs> like, what are you doing there? 
It just it's it's like a fine card. Uh, the app that like shows you your spending breakdown is really cool. I've been like trying to like pay more attention to m- the logging of my finances, and so I'm learning things. And so it'd be cool if some of that was more automated for me. But if they start like really pushing their kind of like fine credit card that's actually not that much better than everything else that's out there, um, and in many ways it's worse because you can't use one if you don't have an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> then. I don't know. That that starts to feel like you're taking things that are fundamentally the same as what everybody else sells and claiming that it's better. And that worries me a tiny bit. Yeah, I think that the way I frame it is, will Apple compromise the user experience of the phone to upsell services? And I'm happy right. to go on literally any uh, cable news television program and say that out loud, which is like a thing that I do. Uh, so if you're a producer, <laughs> just give me a call. I'll come on your show and say that. Um, and I, you know, I published that headline. The way I think the pressure works, and I, Dieter, I think your point about the, the two curves intersecting is, is a good one. Mm-hmm. Right now, they have a lot of room to grow that services revenue. They have a billion yep. installed devices running iOS. They have lots of phones. They have that secondary market of refurbished devices that they and the carrier sell. They're very interested in trade-ins, all that stuff. So like, a lot of phones, a lot of iOS devices, uh, a lot of Macs, what have you. That's a lot of people to just ask for some more money a month. Right? Yes. And so that, that first wave of revenue, and you're already seeing it, it's pretty easy to get, right? Like, and that's where their services business is growing. Apple News Plus is not good, but some percentage of a billion people are paying for it, and services mm-hmm. revenue are going up. Mm-hmm. Some percentage of people buy Apple Care, that number is going up. They talked a lot about making more money off Apple Care, or like more people are uh, attaching to Apple Care on the uh, earnings call. Yeah, you make it easier to get a new phone every 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 so often, that number goes up. Like, mm-hmm. great, they're doing it. The App Store, some percentage of a billion people do App Store stuff, the number goes up. They are so excited about App Store revenue, they're talking about it a bunch, and man, it was actually infuriating, because when the App Store launched, and like, uh, Steve Jobs got on, I believe it was the All Things D stage, or maybe it was, no, maybe, no, it was definitely All Things D stage, like, you gonna make money off this? He's like, nah, it's like, it's just enough to like, run the thing, we're not trying to make this a profit center, don't be crazy, and now they're like, it's a profit center, and they specifically talked about how they were really excited about how the App Store was making more money, because the Chinese government changed some rules to allow more apps that have in-app purchases in their games. Specifically games. Like, yeah. you know, like we talk a lot about the government on this show, unfortunately. Um, and we're like, you know, the classic line about the government is like the government shouldn't pick winners and losers. Like you want to yeah. see the government picking winners and losers. It's the Chinese government getting some games past the censors with in-app purchases and Apple's revenue going up. Yeah. Like we're not, that's like, there it is. That's the end of the spectrum. I feel very comfortable about everything that's happening. <laughs> uh, but so, right, and they're going to launch more services. So some mm-hmm. percentage of a billion people uh, will sign up for their TV service. Some percentage of a billion people will sign up for the game service and on and on and on it goes. That's the easy part, right? Like that number just goes up. Apple's happy. They're monetizing more of their folks. Great. Uh-huh. As those lines get closer together, getting the next sort of tranche of users to pay for stuff right. gets harder. And that's where like the marketing pressure has to go up. And then the next level gets even harder. And then by the end, it's like, you haven't signed up for any services. Have you heard about iCloud storage? Because we have just decided that the iPhone will now take slightly bigger photos than before. Like, <laughs> right? Like Your you contacts are there. two terabytes. Yeah, every, every contact now uh, automatically includes a 4K video. 
for some reason the, to make the, the user experience better. This is literally an emoji. Like they'll just <laughs> now the emoji gets stored in the contact file. <laughs> like, I mean, th that's a nightmare conspiracy theory, but you can you can see it, right? This is how I'm starting to, to view these these companies, not like totally as like they're they're attacking me, but what if they decided to attack me? What if yeah. Apple went all out and tried to make my life worse through its various vectors? How much effective power do they have over me right now? And I've limited that a little bit because I have a Mac, but my Mac has an iCloud account. Like Apple could probably right now remotely delete my Mac because I have iCloud. They absolutely. You know? Yep. So obviously, but that's like the far worst case. So that's really far down the tail of, of possibility. But you know, that there's some other ones like a credit card. Like I told you guys earlier, like the credit card is so appealing to me and I can't even figure out why. But like Dieter said, you know, it's got your budget in there, you know? Yeah. So what if you plan your whole life around this credit card and then they make it vastly worse for some reason? Well, you know, now what I'm going to spend three days switching credit cards and budgeting apps and, you know, so like how how vulnerable am I to this company making a bad decision and messing up my life? We got we got We got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we got to move on. I'm, I'm just yeah. going to say this. Apple services are like a cat. Oh, God. When you get a cat, it jumps on your lap and you start petting it. It starts purring. You feel comforted and happy. The cat is making a ton of money because in this metaphor, because it services, it's purring and happy. Everything is great. And then, you know, after a while, the cat rolls over and shows you its belly because it thinks, you know, you might want to give it a belly rub. And you're like, oh, this sounds great. And then you do. And then it wrecks you. Its claws yeah. come out and it destroys your arm. Those are Apple services. Pet the cat. Feel really good about it. But just beware of the belly. I feel like an, an, an underlying thing the listener needs to know in this situation is that Dieter has long had, I would say, a uh, rocky relationship with his cat. <laughs> and for at least a year, I would ask him how it was going, and he'd say, the cat hates me. It would be like the yeah. first words out of his mouth. But it's gotten uh -huh. better over well, time. The cat likes me now, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we found a routine. Mm. <laughs> and that's the Apple card. But, it, but it's important <laughs> to know about cats is that they can exhibit the symptoms of love without actually loving. So one more thing about Apple earnings I want to just mention, because it jumped out to both Dieter and I, is Catalyst, which yeah. is the sort of technology that lets iPad apps run on the Mac. It's obviously coming with Catalina. Tim Cook mentioned Catalyst three times, if not At four, yeah. on this call. He mentioned it in uh, the, his prepared remarks to the analysts on the call. He mentioned it again when he was like going through like the different lines of business. Like We're so excited mm -hmm. about Catalyst coming to Mac. And then someone asked him a question about Mac apps, and he was like, we're so excited about Catalyst. Here's yeah. a disconnect. Coming out of WWC, everything was Swift UI, right? Like Swift UI is the right. future whatever we yeah, the catalyst the, apps that we have are bad yeah so the cadence was leading up to wwdc i and many were like you got to fix catalyst apps and i explicitly said apple you should go all in prove that they can be good and then wwdc happened and they were still bad like really bad like troublingly bad and so everyone's like, oh, this is a problem. But Apple also announced this thing called Swift UI, which is a new way to make apps that work across all of its platforms and blah, 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 blah. Really easy to code a UI and actually pretty good, better than most cross-platform stuff. So everybody in the you know Mac world were like, well, I guess Catalyst is like a sideshow. What really matters is Swift UI. And let's just let's just all agree together to kind of ignore Catalyst for now, or at least treat it like a stepping stone. And then Tim Cook just comes out super hard for it on the uh, earnings call. 
Yeah. And he also uh, said iPad OS is a strategic step for the iPad. When mm-hmm. at WWDC, they're like, no, it's just a different name. Yeah. So a lot of sort of like disconnect between what I would say is the inside baseball of Apple world, where everyone is like, you know, doing Kremlinology to figure out what they really mean, what the real future is. And these public yeah. messages, which is like, Catalyst is going to be great for the Mac. Please ignore the apps that have already shipped. Like, Catalyst is going to be great, we promise. And iPad OS is a strategic new direction for the iPad when inside Apple World, everyone's like, nah, it's it's just iOS with some stuff. And I, we'll we'll just have to see, but that is a clear disconnect in their their messaging. One last thing. Just, I'm just, this is a side note, but it's, we're recording this on August 1st. And I don't know if any of you are using any of the betas, but I got to tell you, really nervous about them launching this stuff on time. Really? (laughs) There's, everything is really rocky. Wow. Compared to last year, especially. So we'll see. Could be like, maybe they'll, they'll just push it off. The stuff will launch in October. That would be fine. Don't, please don't launch, launch these operating systems before they're ready. Apple, do not feel bad if you have to launch the iPhone 11 with iOS 12. Like, honestly, don't. It will be fine. It won't hurt any sales at all. Just don't launch these operating systems until they're ready. I beg you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but they're on a deadline. They can't launch the operating. They can't launch the phone without the new operating system to support it. Sure, they can. They've never done that before. Yeah, but they can. What's to stop them? Uh, putting features on the phone and then marketing the phone with its new features. What are you like? It has a third camera. Cool. Like, who cares? <laughs> the camera will get turned on later. It's fine. <laughs> this camera doesn't work. It's like the microphone hidden inside the you know the yeah. Nest Protect whatever. I guess they launch portrait mode later. Yeah, yeah, they're on a deadline. They got a they get that event. That phone event is like you know hardware, software, services all coming together. Yeah, we'll see. And we'll, maybe they'll announce the price for Apple TV Plus at that event. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> I mean, by the way, the 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 way this should work, Paul, and I think this goes to your point of like how can they? How do you make sure they're not cheating you or like flexing on you? Is if you have less exposure to their prices. So if mm. in, instead of paying nine bucks a month for Apple News and you know, however many dollars a month for the games and however many months, how many dollars a month for the TV service, they just charge you a flat fee a year like Amazon Prime. So it's like 100 bucks a month, you get a phone, you get service, you get all these software services. That's, I think, what people want. I think that might be why we don't know the price of the TV service and all this other stuff yet. Yeah. Doesn't that, I don't know, it's weird. Amazon feels like they have, in some sense, no incentive to improve the offerings of Amazon Prime because it's diffuse across a bunch of things. And then at the same time, Amazon Prime seems like the only streaming service that cares about having like random old stuff to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we can do an entire hour on streaming wars, but mm. Amazon does relentlessly improve Prime to make that, not just the streaming service, like the whole Prime experience, mm. because it is so worth it to them to have everybody just pay them some money a month. Mm-hmm. And that makes you more likely to shop at Amazon. It's like a whole thing. So I don't, I'm very curious to see if Apple does that kind of like recurring revenue bundle around the new iPhone. And just, they're like, you, everybody gets a new iPhone every year. It costs $100 a month. The problem is, what, what would you call it? <laughs> Apple Phone Care Plus Prime. Apple, Apple Good Now. Mega Ultra. <laughs> I mean, they, like, they're friendly with Amazon. They can just call it Apple Prime. All right. There you mm. go. Speaking of stuff that's coming out, there's also Google earnings. And then Dieter, you, you basically like, Google was like forced to respond to you. I don't know <laughs> how else to put this. And there, I mean, there is there any other proof that the Pixel Three didn't sell well and is not selling well than their willingness to just tell us about the Pixel Four? 
Yeah, no, there's not. They're just like, yep, here you go. More, more stuff on the Pixel 4. Uh, if you didn't see the news, they uh, just fully announced and put up a blog post that the Pixel 4 is going to use face unlock. Uh, presumably, that means no fingerprint under the screen, which is fine by me. Um, it's going to use the same sort of face unlock technology that the iPhone uses. So it's got an infrared camera. It shoots like dots at your face, and then it reads the dots. All that's fine. Um, that's why the bezel is like all the way across the top because I got to fit, fit a bunch of stuff in there. The other thing they have to fit in there is a tiny little radar sensor because it has Project Soli. And the radar can basically detect when like your face approaches it, like, like the blip on a radar screen. And then it will turn on the face unlock when it detects your face is coming to check your face. And then the phone will just unlock. So like in the act of picking it up, it'll unlock, which is fine, but really not that much better than what the iPhone does. Like... Does, I don't know, we'll see. And you'll also be able to use Project Soli to wave your hand to do stuff. <laughs> you Soli can d detect like the tiny violin gesture, right? It can detect the tiny violin gesture, but I don't know if they're using the tiny violin gesture. So far as I know, they've only announced like waving to like go next track, last track. Uh, they've already done some like stuff with the, the Nest Max where you can like hold your hand up like to pause it. I think that. They're in a tough spot because if they get too cute with all of these gestures, uh, they're doomed. Because, like, one, you won't remember them. Two, think about how a user interface works. You do a thing, and then something happens. And then you do that thing again, and then the same thing happens. This has been the problem with gesture interfaces since Samsung started showing commercials of people in the kitchen with their hands covered in dough, swaving their hands at a phone. <laughs> um, it doesn't work consistently. So whatever they choose has to be easy to remember and it has to be rock solid and work. Otherwise, it will go down in history as just another gimmick phone. And Google needs the Pixel to not be a gimmick phone. It needs it to be like the canonical Android phone. And if it just is another phone with a bunch more gimmicks, they might as well be LG. And hell, LG probably sells more phones than Google does. And like, that's a really bad spot to be in. Wait, wait. We're going to do weird gimmicks every year. And Google, Google said that uh, in their earnings, the Pixel 3 helped them sell twice as many Pixel phones, though. Twice as many? <laughs> That's a number? Like, they sold Bezos pixels. <laughs> I mean, j just to put some, some meat on the bones of, of, of Dieter whining, uh, the <laughs> Pixel 3, wow. <laughs> when I squeeze the Pixel 3, I think this is a good gimmick. I don't like mm -hmm. yelling, okay, Google, you know, I like to squeeze squeeze the phone. And all I do is set a timer for cooking meat. That's all I ever do to, to when I squeeze the phone. I, I don't ask it questions. I just set a timer. Mm -hmm. Its response time is completely random. It, yeah. it, it can't, even though I squeeze, this is a physical gesture. I felt the ch-ch-ch. I know it got the squeeze and it launches the voice thing. The time where it begins listening to me is random, and the time when it stops listening to me is completely random. Even though I'm doing it in the for in the exact same scenario on the exact same spot in my house, you know, every time. So, <laughs> I, and I think part of this is the symptom. Like it's kind of that conversation you guys had with with the Google uh, with the Android executives. Like there's this firewall between the Pixel team and the Android team which is laudable in some sense and clearly detrimental in another sense because the Pixel team is not necessarily the best Android phone manufacturers on the planet. 
Yep. They know. They have to have that firewall because they need to not piss off Samsung too much. Sure, sure. Uh, but they apparently do. they're less worried about that because they super announced uh, face unlocking Pixel 4 uh, less than three weeks or two weeks ahead of Samsung launching the Note 10, which is probably going to use an in screen fingerprint sensor. So, womp womp. Well, so we, we haven't said why they announced it, which is that Google oh. employees are wandering the streets of America yes. offering people $5 <laughs> to scan their faces. <laughs> I mean, that's not why they announced it. <laughs> they announced it because they've got this wacky plan to like pre-announce features like their LG. But it, <laughs> it does, in fact, turn out that they do have people wandering the streets handing legal forms to people sitting in the park and say, hey, do you, can, can I scan your face for Google? Uh, ZDNet uh, had the story and then Android police confirmed it with a couple other people. And, uh, you know, I like asked Google, like, what? What really? And they're like, "Yeah, we're doing it." So I, um, I appreciate but, it. First of all, but, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, they're they're saying what they're doing. Yes, they're asking permission, and they're yes. paying people. Mm -hmm. Those are all good yep. things. Mm -hmm. They're like good things in the context of the dystopia that we live in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like a time traveler from Equifax follows the Google employee and says, "Yeah, here's one hundred twenty-five dollars. Sorry, in the future we will use this face <laughs> information and then leak it." So one one of the things I appreciated is I was like, "What are you doing with the data?" And they're like, "You know, some lawyer wrote the form and it said we keep it for five years, and that's dumb. We don't need it for that long, so we're only going to keep it for eighteen months." Uh, and something said so we were recording location, but that. It's dumb, so we're going to stop doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, this question about, like, is it, it – it's never associated with a Google account, but there was one specific thing that Google said, which was, like, faces are inherently not anonymous. I was like, thank you. <laughs> you <laughs> actually bad. are, like, getting better at talking about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's – they need a diverse set of faces so it works. Yep. Yeah. So this Pre is this is the thing is they want, to, they want to test it on a wide array of faces – ethnicities, diversities, genders, to make sure that it is rock solid across all of all of those things. And that's also laudable. It's just in the yep. context of this moment in time, Google paying you $5 to scan your face is, it has so many different like emotions yeah. that it causes. Yeah. But it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure Apple did the same thing in secret. You know, like. Yeah, they, they just brought people into a room and threatened them with death if they talked <laughs> instead of handing them a form. Welcome. <laughs> this anechoic chamber is used for testing the HomePod and also murdering you if you ever tell anyone about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Addy's going to join us. We're going to talk about what is going on in the government. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. 
because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Addie, welcome. Hi. How are things? I'm not great in the specific capacity that I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's just get into it. So our, our friend, Senator Josh Hawley, he keeps doing stuff, I think is the best way to, to phrase it. Doing online stuff. He won't stop. He, he, he's very angry at tech companies. He thinks they're bad. And he, he put out a bill this week, the SMART Act. The Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act. Oh. Oh, my God. Okay. He's mostly issued backronyms, so it's maybe a little bit notable that he's started doing them now. Yeah. Yeah. What does a SMART Act do? Well, it reduces social media addiction. <laughs> okay, actually what it does um, is it's really confusing. The intent of it is to take what are called dark patterns, which are things that are designed to make you engage with a website more in ways that are sort of manipulative, like a thing that scrolls infinitely so you'll read it forever or those pop-ups that say, like, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? Or in tiny print, no, you're a horrible person. Yeah. Um, so the idea is, among other things, to ban those and to ban things like autoplaying videos and a bunch of stuff that people hate. But it's also just kind of an insane bill. So for one thing, it's supposed to apply to social media companies. But based on everything I've read, it sounds like social media companies are anything of any size that is primarily user-generated content. So like, hey, you have like a stamp collector forum. Great. Now this has the exact same rules as Twitter. Yeah, that doesn't seem mm. right. So then there's that. Then there's the rules that people have actually been talking about online, like the fact that these sites will have to prominently tell you every 30 minutes that you've been on them 30 minutes. Also to, by default, block you every 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and you can opt out of this, but the block will reset at the beginning of every month. That one is the most – it's across every platform. So you have to track your usage across every platform that you're on Twitter somehow. Like phone, yeah, TV. Yeah. And then yeah. every 30 minutes are like, you're done. Or even using it this 30 minutes unless you go and change it. Yes. But then it, it in the statute, it says we reset. Yes. The first of every month. I have a better name for this bill. It's the no, no, addiction, no, yuck bill. <laughs> well, so, so one the, thing the that is state true. Bill. See? Huh? I got you. So one thing that's true, we, we've now said addiction like three times. It is not actually proven that these sites are addictive. Correct. Correct. Right, the the science on that is pretty, like sketchy. It's like brand new. And I mean, the science on a lot of addiction things, like there is a fundamental disagreement about whether you should medicalize it. And this obviously doesn't engage with any of that. Other people have pointed out that there's also just a blanket rule that's like health and human services can make rules, how, whatever it wants, about things that interfere with consumers' freedom of choice. Um, which I was talking to Luke Stark, who's a researcher at Harvard, and he was like, yeah, no, this is also a thing that Josh Hawley introduced in a bill like two days ago that's basically we will make rules so that you're not allowed to have political bias or things like that. It's just a weird open-ended rule. So it bans infinite scroll. It bans autoplay. I'm not necessarily opposed to these Except things. Except that it does not ban autoplay for advertisements. So the autoplay you hate 
Actually, it's still there. Oh, good. Mostly. Well, you got to make sure the advertisers are okay. So Vans Infinite Scroll Up, Vans Autoplay in some circumstances, not if you're an advertiser. It puts limits on uh, how long you can use the platforms. It reset every month. It bans, this is my favorite one, uh, badges and other awards linked to engagement with the platform. So if you get if you get an award for using Twitter for too long, uh, and you don't get some extra features, that's just against that's just illegal. What does he think this will actually accomplish for people that will just use social media less? It's really hard to say because again, the, a lot of the standard wisdom is that none of this stuff passes, but it works the ref and moves the Overton window. Mm-hmm. So people start thinking, well, okay, this bill is not going to pass, but maybe we should have a bill that like makes you stay off Twitter. Yeah, And people sort of grab the the bits of this that they like, and then it becomes a normalized thing that people will think about. So there's a part here, uh, it's labeled neutral presentation. And last week we talked a lot about the FTC settlement with Facebook. A lot of what the FTC found was that Facebook did dark patterns in its UI over and over and over again to get you to consent to things or not know that your permission was needed to steal data from you. Right, like facial recognition in particular, you know, the FTC complaint is like screenshot after screenshot of Facebook playing interface games to get you to consent to facial recognition without you necessarily knowing it. Okay, I'm all for a law that says you can't do that stuff. But this seems to me like way too far in like directly regulating what the interfaces look like in a way that I don't even know if that's going to be effective. Yeah, it's super specific. It's worth noting that there was also an earlier bill that was supposed to essentially ban dark patterns. It was Mark Warner and Deb Fisher in the Senate, and it's called the Detour Act. I'm not going to look up the backronym for that. Yeah. Um, but its thing was, we should just go to the FTC, tell the FTC, look into this. You have the authority to ban dark patterns. Like, you should make rules about this roughly similar to the way that you have rules about how you have to disclose ads. Yeah. And that seemed like a thing that made much more sense. So uh, a, a parallel I would draw, and this is true. So, like, you go to law school, you, like, study contracts law. There's a uniform commercial code. There's a bunch of consumer protection stuff, like, in every state. So if you go to rent a car, like, a car rental contract is, like, a fairly regulated thing. And, like, the fonts have to be a certain size, and you have to prove that certain things were disclosed. It's it's a lot, right? And this is, like, you, you spend a lot of time, like, law school contracts exam questions often have the phrase, like, the following clause was printed in 18-point type, which is code for they did everything they could to make you see it. So you presumably knew it when you signed the contract. I don't think anybody reads a car rental contract, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that is, like, an effective tool of disclosure. And so, to me, saying we're going to directly regulate these interfaces so you make better choices when you click accept still doesn't get to the fundamental problem of no one's reading these contracts. No one's making choices based on privacy. No one's, like, picking Bose headphones over Sony headphones because Bose has a better privacy policy, which is the nightmare scenario that we're currently in. Like, it doesn't get to the, the main problem. It just gets to, it seems like Josh Hawley wants to punish Google and Twitter and Facebook. Yes, and take down every site on the internet alongside it. I mean, the thing this is supposed to do isn't necessarily, private, like, make people aware of what's happening. It is the, based on the premise that if you erase these dark patterns, people will presumably spend less time on Facebook or less time on Twitter because they literally can't get to it or because <laughs> they have to hit a button to look at the net rest of their feed and they're aware of it. I am unclear on what the science is on whether that's likely to happen. Yeah. I mean, I just, where would you, where would Twitter even put that button in its timeline? Right. That's like hey, a, you it, could load a hundred tweets, load uh, just a finite number of tweets. I don't know. I could see this stuff actually being done. It's just weird to imagine it being legislated. Here's another favorite part I have. 
Not less frequently than once every three years, the commission shall submit to Congress a report on the issue of internet addiction and the processes through which social media companies and other internet companies, by exploiting human psychology and brain physiology, interfere with the free choices of individuals on the internet. That is, like, wild. (laughs) Like, it's that's truly wild that he's saying you've lost your free will because you can infinite scroll. Yeah, we're in some sort of full-on hidden persuaders subliminal messaging stuff here. Like, this feels so much like the ad debates from long before I was born about whether, like, Coca-Cola is secretly forcing you to buy it. And and there's—I just want to be clear. There's not a lot of science under this, right? I would not be able to say that for sure, but it definitely doesn't seem like the kind of thing where we can tell this is going to happen. There's a reason it resonates is because it is sort of obvious that these services are designed to be sticky. Like that's a that's an old timey Internet word like that. Yeah. People have been trying to make services that make you come back and that make you spend more time on them. So they've been working very hard and diligently to do that. Uh, but, you know, the solution, I mean, this is like a ban on sugar. Like, I think sugar has something that you could call addictive properties or it's hard to quit sugar, you know. But <laughs> a ban on sugar is 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 probably not the solution. Yeah, this is so. I, this is like the bigger point, which I have just been seeing now for months. I think we've been talking about it for months. It feels very odd that Josh Hawley, who is a Republican – is taking the position of, I'm going to directly regulate the behavior of companies. I'm going to say what companies can and cannot do, and we're going to say this behavior is banned. And Elizabeth Warren, who's a Democratic frontrunner, is saying, actually, the thing to do is is break them up so there's more competition in the market and people have more choices. And that, to me, feels like a total inversion of what you would expect these policies to be. And I, I, it's, I'm watching sort of the tech policy people in D.C. Like literally last week, they were just all in a Twitter fight with each other. It was very entertaining. Like there's a realignment in like who is backing what policy that is fascinating to me because Republicans basically are like, we don't like Google. We're going to directly regulate what Google can do. And I think Warren is, I think, the face of this on the other side, which, and she's saying – the solution is antitrust. The solution is the market. And you just wouldn't expect that alignment to exist in the way that it does. At least in the first half. Although it's it's been really frustrating that I feel like a lot of people who think this bill are, is awful and ridiculous still buy the framing of it that I think is flawed, which is basically that, A, the internet is these few sites. So when you say social media, obviously you mean these. And B, just that the internet is a thing for wasting time on, which is Maybe that's true for a lot of people. That's very sad. I work on the internet. I <laughs> post fan fiction on the internet. I do all kinds of things that are not on these few sites. I spend a lot of time on Wikipedia. I enjoy it a lot. That's a user-generated content platform. It's really frustrating to sound, A, like a shill for the internet, but uh, B, that I don't know that all of these things that have really meant a lot to me in my life have more or less been erased under this blanket proposition that tech is bad. Yeah. And I, that's the other thing that gets me is to pass a bill like this, you have to assume that Twitter and Facebook and Google and YouTube are forever and that they're the only things worth caring about. Like they're named. They're in here by name. In a, that's very rare for a bill like this to just specifically name companies. And Twitter, Facebook, YouTube are just named in the bill. And then it's like – and other companies like them. 
as and, such services existed in 2019. Yeah. So it's like very targeted towards the existence of YouTube now and, ev- and then like everything else like that. That's fairly rare. Like you don't see a lot of bills that are like, Altria tobacco shall stop addicting children. Like that's not allowed. <laughs> like Steve will stop mowing my lawn. Like get off. Of, like right. You don't see a lot of that. It's also not necessarily legal to do stuff like that. So that's the other question. So Mark Cuban, who was on uh, the interview episode on Tuesday, he I tweeted this selection of the bill about the time limits, and he responded to me, this is just a marketing platform for Josh Hawley, right? We're, we're all get outraged about it. We all know his name. Some people will fund him. Some people will fund the other side. We'll move the Overton window, and we'll start talking about regulating tech. Is that kind of your estimate of the, the politics of this? It seems like an entirely reasonable estimate, and also that whenever anybody dumps, dunks on this eminently dunkable bill, Ted Cruz gets to retweet them and say, you work for Google. He did that to us. That's yep. <laughs> a real thing. That Wait, what? Dad, I mean, I uh, Ted Cruz retweeted me last week. This week? Great. Last week? I don't know. It was like a thing. Congrats. Is this the, this is the lawmaker version of trolling, right? That's, so that's like yeah. a question. Is Josh Hawley just like trolling tech companies to like get everybody to talk about regular? Like this bill has no co-sponsors, right? He just like did it. Great. Is it going to go anywhere? Who knows? Is his bill to make the FTC an ultra-powerful speech regulator for Twitter going to go anywhere? Like, I don't know. Is everyone talking about Josh Hawley and the fact that he keeps putting out bills that would regulate tech companies and in particular social media platforms in increasingly uh, direct ways? Yeah, uh, we're talking about it right now. That's actually a question we had. Like, you know, Russell and McKenna and I were like, sitting around talking about how to cover this bill, and it's, do we give it this much attention? Are you letting Josh win? Yeah, but he's a senator. He, there's not much more he can, there's like one more place he can go. And like, maybe he wants to go there, but we're not going to slow him down or speed him up. We're just going to talk about what a senator is suggesting we regulate the internet. Like, this is, this is now, in fact, the Overton window has moved. Like yes. This is the outer bound of the conversation. And I'm not sure how many people understand that when someone says you propose a bill that does not mean the bill is, has any likelihood to pass whatsoever. So it seems like a lot of people may have the impression that, oh, no, this is like a seriously considered thing. The U.S. is maybe going to do this thing. This is wild. Like, this is policy. Yeah. It's weird. It's, I, I just think it's the, – the thing I wanted to get out is, in particular, is this – what I see as an inversion or a realignment of how Democrats and Republicans have talked about regulating tech companies. Like, it is – wild that Republicans are, for example, the president actively talks about how often, how much he has deregulated the government, like how many regulations he's crossed off every day. Like, you know, his first week in office, he's like, I brought in the shredder. Uh, we found all the regulations and I got rid of them. And this is nothing but a set of extremely specific regulations on how a software interface should work. That's a disconnect. To be fair, Tulsi Gabbard did sue Google. For sending her emails into spam. <laughs> Can you unpack that for two seconds? All right. So uh, during the debates, not the last debates, but the one bef- once before, um, Tulsi Gabbard buys ads on Google. So when people search her name, um, her selected link will come up on top of the organic results. And after the debate, when she was very popular in searches, they suspended her account for about six hours for what appears to have been a payment processing issue. And she was upset about this, which is entirely reasonable. She then sued Google over it for violating her free speech, which is less reasonable, eminently, um, and cited a lot of the same arguments that people 
like Holly and folks on Lightning Crew's site, like just sort of took for granted that Google regularly has an extremely specific political bias that it deals with in incredibly micromanaged ways. So she sued them. Um, Also, she claimed that her fundraising emails get disproportionately sent to spam, which would be a really difficult thing to prove. Yeah. So just on the subject of the ads, I love the idea that not being able to buy ads from Google implicates your free speech rights. Also, Google serving up results for Gabbard's website for free. Like, they didn't stop delivering search results, which is the main thing that they do. Like, they weren't like, you search for Tulsi Gabbard, and they, because they deactivated her AdWords account, then send those searches to Joe Biden, right? They were still just, like, serving up searches. She just wasn't allowed to buy ads next to those searches because her credit card got declined or whatever it was. I mean, I think the problem is partly that Google doesn't do itself any favors by being so gigantic that it cannot really or will not explain what's wrong when something goes wrong. (laughs) So it just gives these vague error messages or complaint responses that leave a lot of room for conspiratorial constructions. Yeah, you fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah, because it's genuinely bad. It's ridiculous sometimes. So I think that's like a a main point. I I think the... Holly's like Section 230 bill kind of gets at this. You hear this from all sides. These companies are not nearly transparent enough, like at all, at any level. Like, no one knows how much money YouTube makes. Like, that's like the first thing. It's like the first thing to know about any company is like, are you profitable? Do you make money? How do you make your money? Who, like, who's paying you? you? You can't find that out about YouTube. It's buried inside of Google's earnings, which are buried inside of Alphabet's earnings. So that, like, even at that level, you don't know that about YouTube. Then on Twitter, it's like, how did you make this enforcement decision? And no one knows the answer, right? It's like this very opaque process. Facebook is another realm of opacity. Right. Twitch, which is Amazon, also like notoriously weird about enforcing rules. Yeah. So like I, I think everybody agrees on that. Like these companies are so opaque that it's very easy to come up with conspiracy theories. I just don't know that it's weird. You know, like the, people always say Silicon Valley is like very libertarian. Like I tweeted out this bill, like we we, were, I saw the shares of our URL, and, and this hit the button where everyone's like, "You can't tell us what to do, mm-hmm. right?" And it's like, "You this will kill innovation," which is like my favorite line. It's like, wait, maybe innovating towards gamification was always the wrong move, but I I just don't know what what Holly's goal is with stopping this one in particular. Like, is it just making everybody hate the tech companies more? Because this is a, a style of regulation that if you applied it to any other business you would not have Republicans proposing this kind of legislation. Yes, probably. I, I don't – I can conspiratorialize <laughs> a lot about maybe the 30 minutes thing is actually just this giant like thing that's supposed to be so crazy that everyone forgets about all the other ridiculous parts. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I don't know how much of anything means anything. <laughs> it feels like an op-ed and he just – he realized that his greatest distribution platform was uh, publishing it as a proposed bill. Yeah, but that is absolutely true. Yeah. Like, he's, again, a United States senator. Like, his greatest distribution platform is proposing laws for the country. Yep. That's his job. The question is, like, are those laws reasonable? Uh, Are they constitutional? Are they effective? I think with this bill, it's mostly what this is effective at is, hey, there's somebody in the Senate who hates you, right? Like, if you work at Twitter or Google (laughs) or Facebook, like, there's at least one person who hates you, and you should be aware of that. And maybe that's enough. But it's it's just a really weird moment where that that sort of vendetta against the platform companies is emerging in this in this stuff. Whereas I think if I had, who's the person who proposes that we should directly regulate the companies on this show the most? It's me, 
right? I'm like, net neutrality <laughs> should exist. AT&T should not be allowed to do things. Some people call Eli the Josh Hawley of the Verge. Me saying gamification is a little bit dangerous. Like right. five years ago, if I was like, gamification super dangerous. These companies are, are making these things sticky. These algorithms, like you wouldn't have been surprised if I said it. Mm-hmm. If I had said there should be a law that says you have to quit Twitter after 30 minutes, you, Paul, would have like laughed in my face. <laughs> this is a bizarre moment. I, I would have cried first, but then I would have laughed. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, it's weird to see conduct on interviews like this proposed. Anyway, what happens next with this bill? Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing ever. Yeah. He proposes a ton of bills. He had the internet censorship bill like three days ago. Yeah. If anything did happen... It is very hard for me to imagine how this law would be constitutional in any way if it somehow managed to get through everything. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's very much like, um, I think Paul had a good point. It's like banning sugar or like forcing companies to print a bunch of like nutrition facts and things. Like those laws routinely get challenged because you can't just like step in like that, right? And it's like sugar was made of speech. <laughs> sugar was the First Amendment. Well, I mean, that's another open question, right? Is the software interface of a platform speech? It's also just weird to suggest that taken to its logical extreme, you should ban software being user-friendly. Like, yes, the (laughs) ultimate non-dark pattern system would be if there were 50 buttons that were identical (laughs) all over everything and I couldn't use anything. I would not want to spend a lot of time on that website. I'm sort of into it. Like, what if everything was required to have a series of hardware knobs that were identical and everything looked cool as shit? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like everything was like a giant mixing desk. Regulate cyberpunk. <laughs> See, that's what I'm getting at. All right. Well, I wanted to bring it up again. I have uh, a sense of conflict about how much attention to, to pay to these things. But I think for our audience, we have to dive into it a little bit because this is, I would say, the most extreme proposal for how to deal with Facebook and Twitter and YouTube that I've ever seen. And the dude is a senator. I'm going to try to get Holly on the show. We gotta, that's, that's the move. Yeah. I would really like to hear what he thinks this bill would do. And I'm like, like does he believe in like net neutrality? Like it's right, – you're like there's, there's so little competition for YouTube that I got to cut it off every 30 minutes. Like I'm interested if he, he, he wants to apply that to other places where there's not as much competition. Okay. Speaking of not as much competition, there's another sort of legal policy fight brewing, which I think is really interesting. You've heard of Lowcast? I read about Lowcast on our site and have never used it. I think a lot of people have never used it. Paul, have you heard of Lowcast? I have. So Lowcast is uh, it's a weird company. It's a nonprofit. That's that, right. <laughs> this is, but, but don't you forget it. It's, just like, <laughs> it's a nonprofit company that was set up to capture over-the-air broadcasts from NBC, CBS, Fox, the big networks, and then restream them to people. It is what you would call a loophole startup in that there is a clause in the copyright code that says nonprofits can do this. They can retransmit broadcast signals. So they're like, all right, we're a nonprofit. You can just like donate to us however much you want. We set it up. They exist. You can go use Lowcast. We've reviewed it. People seem to like it. Great. They were (laughs) unsurprisingly sued by the big broadcast networks this week. Uh, The broadcast networks claim that Lowcast is basically a conspiracy shell company set up by Dish Network and AT&T so that they lower the prices uh, for their services. So Dish Network, AT&T, Comcast, whoever, cable companies have to pay retransmission fees to rebroadcast ABC, CBS, and Fox. 
This is like a whole thing. And so they're saying, well, if you if you set up your weird nonprofit low cast dish network, then when you come to us to negotiate the rates for retransmission, you can just say we won't pay you anything because our customers can use low cast for free. That's a wild argument. I like my question is like, how well run do you think Dish Network is? <laughs> like like AT T announced not one but like three TV services with the same name this week. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very sophisticated conspiracy theory. Also, it makes it sound like or write up of it makes it sound like it's basically unusable unless you actually pay them. Yeah, I mean it's right, they're a nonprofit, so they have to skate around things. There is a big case you get do you remember like Aereo? Oh boy. Oh. I mean, Aereo consumed the world for about six months, and then as soon as it was over, it just like got completely memory hold, and no one knows what you're talking about when you bring so it up. So I had forgotten that the Aereo case went all the way to the Supreme Court with a dissent written by Scalia. Like, <laughs> like the whole thing happened with Aereo. So Aereo was a startup. We did a video with them. They had a warehouse in Brooklyn full of tiny little like quarter size antennas. I, I still have an Aereo antenna somewhere. I should put it in like Lucite and like save it forever. So Aereo is this company. Their their main innovation was tiny little antennas that could pick up TV signals. You would sign into your Aereo account. They would assign an antenna to you. So now it was mm-hmm. your antenna. And then you would tune into some broadcast network and, and stream it to yourself. Right? So like an aggregation of antennas and they dynamically assign one to you. Got it. They did the work. They did the work. You know? But they did the work of, like, identifying the loophole and engineering their way into a loophole. Yeah, what's the point of loopholes if they don't work? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So this case, the broadcasters sue Aereo. They go, and this is, like, the funniest thing about the low-cast problem. The broadcasters sue Aereo. They go all the way to the Supreme Court, and they lose. The Supreme Court says, yeah, we get it. You did all this work, but this looks and acts like a cable TV system. So if you're going to look and act like, if it quacks like a duck, like, it's a duck, you got to pay the money, right? Like, this is illegal. You're copyright infringing. Aereo went back and said, okay, we're the Supreme Court said we're basically a cable system. That means you are legally required to license the content to us. Well, so well. let's go. Let's do it. The, ca- the broadcasters, ABC, they went back again and said, no, we're going to fight that too. And they fought it and they won in the Southern District of New York, and said, and the the line they drove was like, this is the definition of a cable system. This is how it works. Even though Aereo looks like it, it is not one. We're going to exclude it from the definition of a cable system. We don't have to license them anything. Uh, they're dead. So Aereo died. So they, they won sort of twice. The broadcasters won. They they won the first time and said this is copyright infringement. The Supreme Court said this looks like a cable system. They they're obviously infringing. And then they won again. They said they're they're still not a cable system. They don't get the mandatory licensing. So now you're low cast and you show up and you're not a cable system and you're a nonprofit by the plain language of the copyright law. That's it's not even a loophole, Paul. It's like that's what it says. Like mm-hmm. anything that is not a cable system that is a nonprofit that does not have direct or indirect commercial advantage gets to retransmit these signals. Mm-hmm. So the broadcasters like screwed themselves because they went after Aereo too hard, oh, which is pretty this good. Is delicious. But then, so their argument comes down to, because it is a conspiracy theory of DISH and AT&T to have a free option so that they have to pay lower retransmission fees, it's indirect commercial advantage. That's their whole game. Uh, That's why it sounds like conspiracy theory. This is a good time to point out that there is a, um, a project called Puffer, and I think it's still around, puffer.stanford.edu, and it's, it's, so Stanford is a nonprofit. 
Apparently, schools are not profits. Who knew? <laughs> and uh, and uh, this is a project by students at Stanford, and they're working on machine learning algorithms for optimizing um, uh, like streaming bit rates. Uh, but what they happen to be streaming is a bunch of local television stations. <laughs> <laughs> so there are other ways to get free uh, uh, local TV. I just, why can't they just give, or, you know what? Why can't they just work it out with their local, like I want to watch like local TV commercials for my local furniture store. Like why can't ABC give that to me? Why can't I go to abc.com, watch ABC and also see commercials for my local furniture store? Why is that so hard? Yeah. Uh, cause, uh, cause you're not paying them. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Like they're required if they want the airwaves, they're required to right. do a bunch of stuff because airwaves, as we know, are a scarce resource. The government should allocate fairly to whatever. Says yeah. the man. <laughs> says, says, <laughs> says good old Neli. Says Josh Hawley. Uh, <laughs> right. So if you want access to the airwaves, you have to like do a bunch of stuff. One of the things they are required to do is like mm-hmm. broadcast for free. Mm-hmm. Right, they can't like charge you whatever. They're not required to do that in the internet. So if you're ABC and you're like making stuff, you would actually much rather have people pay a cable system and then some fraction of that cable system money get paid to you. Mm-hmm. You're not super excited about broad, like your broadcast operation. You're way more excited about this direct payment you're getting from all these other folks. Well, then give back the spectrum, you jerks. So oh, during so the area during the area fight. Like, some of the networks are like, if Aereo wins and this is allowed, we will go dark. We would prefer to be on cable and cable alone than have to operate these broadcast networks that Aereo can, like, retransmit for free in this way. So, Mm -hmm. like, this is, like, a cold business decision for them. So they get to be these national networks, and they get to use airwaves. They get to, like, claim that role in society. But when when that got threatened by Aereo, they're like, we'll just go dark. Like, screw it. We're out. Like you, you want Dancing with the Stars? Like you got to pay a cable company for it. That's a big deal. And I, the, the like nonprofit exceptions. Like there's another exception for like hotels, right? Like if you mm-hmm. run a hotel and you put an antenna on the roof and you retransmit to all the TVs, like yeah, Congress is like yeah, that's probably fine. You don't have to like sign up as a cable system for your like days in. Like you can do that. Wait, can Ariel rent me a two square inch hotel room <laughs> with an antenna? See, in that's it? what you should do. <laughs> Like a tiny little hotel room with a sling box. <laughs> this is the loophole I'm looking for. Hold on, guys. I got to sign up Solved. for an Airbnb account. <laughs> um, but it's weird because the fundamentally, these signals are being transmitted for free. Mm-hmm. Think about this. You're in your car right now. Addy, you're sitting right there. I'm sitting here. We're in New York. My body is full of ABC programming right now, just beaming through me. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm being energized by the radio waves of CBS right at this second. The only problem is my dumb brain can't decode those signals. I need I need some like hardware to do it. And as everyone knows, Comcast is an investor in Fox News. <laughs> if not for your dumb brain being unable to decode digital television signals, you would have not have this problem. Yeah. All right. Speaking of being energized by radio waves, Dieter. <laughs> yeah, my body is filled with the power of Verizon 5G, only it's not because it doesn't exist anywhere yet. Can you take us through this T-Mobile Verizon beef? So the earnings happened. T-Mobile's earnings, uh, their earnings call got delayed because they were waiting for the dish, you know, announcement. And the 
Sprint merger announcement and all that stuff to happen. So, uh, of course, all they had to talk about in their earnings call wasn't how they did last quarter. It was like, what's going on? And uh, it's all about 5G. And John Ledger, CEO of T-Mobile, soon, I guess, to be the CEO of the new T-Mobile, which is T-Mobile plus Sprint. Minus um, Boost. Minus it's a real boost. algebra. It's a real algebra. There equation. it is. Someone asked him a question about like 5G something something, and he gave. Uh, now, to be clear, this is not a fair assessment. This is a pro T-Mobile assessment, but it is also the clearest assessment of how 5G works and what carriers need to do to make a successful 5G network that any carrier executive has ever given. Yeah. It was remarkable. It was also just like hilarious. Super mean. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah, super mean. Uh, he said uh, Verizon's strategy will not work. It was a first mover play. It'll cost $1.5 trillion to do. They're dead in the water without a strategy. AT&T at least gets the template, but they don't have the you know mid-band that they need. So AT&T gets a vision. They don't have the mid-band, so there's a hole in their strategy, but they at least get the template. So to sum up, Verizon, clueless, no strategy, nowhere to go. AT&T, not clueless, but lying, confusing people about 5GE, which is really just 4G advanced. And there's a big hole in their template, which is in the middle, which was like, actually, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> if you want to do 5G, you can't just do millimeter wave. You got to do millimeter wave. And then you got to have some stuff in the midband where a bunch of these get used by a bunch of 4G stuff. And then you also ideally want some low band stuff so you can like, you know, get distance and punch your walls and whatever else. So you want all the stuff. I'm playing a little bit fast and loose with talking about the spectrum because it is super complicated. And if I, you know, it's just hard to understand. So anyway, Verizon responds. Uh, to like, Jake no, on we, the record. To Jake on the record. Uh, he asks them and they say, yeah, we have a plan. We're not. Th th this is silly. Of course, of course, we've always had a plan. Uh, we're not just depending on millimeter wave. And so Jake's like, OK, cool. W what's the plan? And they're like, not, not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a secret plan. <laughs> it's great. Which is just amazing. And so I made fun of them for having a secret plan. And then people like immediately accuse me of like being in the bag for T-Mobile, which, have you heard mm. the things I've said about T-Mobile <laughs> over the years? <laughs> super have. It's just amazing uh, that we're getting these like these cat fights between these executives that T-Mobile has started because they decided to like be wacky uh, are only going to get stranger and more hilarious as they get mixed up with how complicated 5G actually is. And so we're going to get these like super weird esoteric burns that you won't understand unless you know what mid-band spectrum is. And it's just that <laughs> is where we live now. And also John Ledger runs a big company now. Or he, he <laughs> yeah. will, right? Like He's no longer nipping at the heels. He's like, I run a, co I run a company as big as yours. Yeah. I just want, I wanted to offer a helpful uh, heuristic for people who are confused about spectrum numbers. So your Wi-Fi is 2.4 gigahertz slash 5 gigahertz, right? So think of your Wi-Fi range and imagine it, it's the same spectrum, right? If, if, if that was on a cell phone tower, you know, it would be high up. It might have a good line of sight. So you could probably, let's say maximum, get about 10x what typical Wi-Fi range you would expect. So you have a, a, a Wi-Fi router in your house. Imagine it worked like 10x better, like best case, right? So that's the 2.4 gigahertz, the five gigahertz, right? Higher than five gigahertz is like the millimeter wave world, right? So much shorter than Wi-Fi. 
And then lower than 2.4 gigahertz is the low band, so much further range, but a lot slower than Wi-Fi. That's just like, if, if you're ever confused and you see some numbers, like 800 megahertz, one is, is 200 megahertz less than one gigahertz, you get it. Yeah. I mean, this has always been, I mean, do you remember, actually, Paul, do you remember, we were at Engadget when this happened. There was a 700 megahertz auction. Mm-hmm. And we were like, Paul has to write an explainer about the 700 megahertz <laughs> auction. And you're like, no, I have no <laughs> idea what it's on. We've gotten better. It was like 10 years ago. But 700 megahertz, it's because they shut down analog TV. And they moved everybody to digital TV. And they, they took that spectrum back, mm-hmm. good old government, and they auctioned it off. And Verizon won a huge chunk of it. And that's like, that was the LTE spectrum that everybody wanted because it you know, Verizon was like, this is oceanfront real estate, which makes no sense in the context of radio spectrum, uh, but that's what they said. And that that was, we're going to take this very good chunk of spectrum that has like the right characteristics of um, like being able to go through walls and like range and all this stuff. We're going to reallocate it for wireless instead of analog TV. We've we, There are some other spectrum auctions going on right now, but there's nothing that looks quite as good as that unless you're T-Mobile and you just bought Sprint and you got a bunch of like six to 800 megahertz spectrum. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the switch to 5G is starting to just look like Jenga. Like, there's millimeter wave, and so, like, that's the cool new technology that's, like, actually not that great for, like, just using a cell phone in the world, but it's cool for short-range stuff. And then everything else is a game of spectrum Jenga. Uh, what do you have free? What do you have now that you could someday reallocate? And what can you get? And so T-Mobile's whole thing is, like, we're buying Sprint because they've got the good spectrum and we can put together our puzzle pieces to get all the you know bands we want to provide 5G service and it'll be great. So that's what T-Mobile is going to do. But what is Verizon and AT&T going to do? What, how are they going to play their Spectrum Jenga game to make sure that they can either transition stuff from one use to a 5G use or that they can get new Spectrum to apply to 5G? And let's not forget canny conspiracy theorist Dish Network, Yeah, which uh, is now going to run our nation's fourth wireless carrier because they're proven to be so good at it. Very exciting. No, I'm going to switch to Dish. It's going to be great. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. we got to talk about Samsung. Addy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, Paul Miller. Mm-hmm. Week after week, it's you true. do something so consistent. I mean, it literally is the only thing stable in the lives of most Americans now. What's it called? Mm. It's called, and the track point guys laugh and laugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. What on earth does so, that mean? 
<laughs> so the, so there's this new keyboard out, the Mokibo. Uh, and <laughs> wait, it's, um, wait, I saw the word on the site and never pronounced it. Mokibo. I get it. All right, keep going. How would you pronounce it? No, I just thought it you, I didn't realize it was more keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> okay, well, sure. Okay, so imagine a chiclet keyboard with all the chiclets crammed together, right? Creating yeah. almost an uninterrupted surface. Guess what that surface could become? It could become a touchpad. Now your whole keyboard is a mouse, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And you're saying, well, sometimes I like to type on my keyboard, won't I get false mouse movements? So with the Mokibo, you put your thumb on this bar below the keyboard, and that puts you into this mouse mode. And uh, apparently works okay as a pointer, not great for scrolling. Uh, but I just wanted it. Just, I wish I could use a track point. Have you ever tried to use a track point on, on a ThinkPad? Yeah. Yeah, I've never been good at it. People love it. I've never been good at it. Exactly, right? But wouldn't it be great to be one of those people <laughs> that could love the track point? Because you'd hardly ever have to move your hands. It'd probably be, it's probably so much better for your wrists instead of like like twisting your... I'm trying to describe the, the, the movement that is non-ergonomic that I make going from the home row to my touchpad, and it's bad for me. If only I had a touch point that I knew how to use, or if the Mokibo was um, was better. Anyway, it's just made me wistful. Do you think it is actually more keyboard? It looks like, uh, I mean, if Mo keyboard means <laughs> a mouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I mean, look, uh, you know how I feel about wacky hardware. I'm with you. Speaking of wacky okay, hardware, thanks. we got to go through Samsung. There's a Samsung event, right? Yeah, that's right. Note 10, already, you can already pre-order it. We already know there's going to be a headphone novel. So, so the event is next week on August 7th. Uh, the Note 10, you can pre-order, and it ships August 23rd. But most importantly, we have our first images of the dongle. This is my nightmare. Is that the most important thing? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, yes. The, it's, the, it's of my tweets about the Note 10. It's the one that got the most engagement. Yeah. I mean, my... I. My tweet was better than your tweet. Oh. I asked, is, is, there a, is there a headphone jack in this? And uh, then I wrote, note 10 this phone. Yeah. <laughs> really what I want, I think, you know, we always think about how do we improve the Vergecast? How do we make yeah. it better? How do we uh -huh. change it? Uh -huh. I think if we get to a place where you and I are just arguing about who had a better tweet, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's how you really get to the next level of audience. Look, I, I love that Samsung was the last holdout uh, of the major phone makers to keep a headphone jack. That makes, makes me happy in my heart. I own a Samsung Galaxy S10. Um, I love it. I think it's a great little phone. Um, I am disappointed that uh, they decided to let that go, but I'm not like religious about it. It's a bummer, but okay, fine. If you're going to get rid of the headphone jack, you got to make a dongle. You know, at least it's USB-C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so here's mm -hmm. one question. Is this a USB-C dongle that will work in every USB-C device or is it right cuz USB-C to headphone is not it's not yeah. a standardized <laughs> connection. That's correct. Also, there are already Galaxy Buds in this world, but I guarantee you that Bixby Buds are on their way, right? Like that's, if you're getting rid of the headphone jack, what, what does everyone learn from Apple? You got to make the true wireless headphones mm. that are the upsell right next to the phone. Yeah. It's coming. I just wanted to let everybody know 
as far as the dongle life update is that I, I have been using my Pixel 3 with USB-C, the pack-in USB-C headphones this whole time. And as of like a week or so ago, one side of the USB-C is more finicky than the other. Of course. <laughs> of course. Which is like, the, the, it's not just that you can't use regular headphones. That's not the only problem with this. It's not just that you can't charge your phone and listen to music with headphones at the same time. That is not the only problem. There's also the fact that you created a single point of failure. And I'm still sad. Yeah. Well, the Note 10 is the one. You would think they would take it off the S11 first. Right. Or, Right, yeah, mm -hmm. but leave it on the, the Note 10. The yeah. Note 10 is like the muscle car of Samsung's line. It's like yeah. it has a stylus, it has a, a micro SD card slot in it. It can like it can connect to everything. Would you like a keyboard? It can turn into a Windows PC. Like it's mm -hmm. that phone. Yeah, yeah. You would think they would, and it's also gigantic. Mm -hmm. Like they cannot make the we ran out fact, of space. They're making argument. a plus version of it, which is even more gigantic. <laughs> it's so big, it has a spot for the stylus inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's just a <laughs> cylinder of empty space inside of the Note 10. <laughs> like, uh. this, it, I just assumed this would be the last phone to see it go, because it's like the do-everything phone. It makes yeah. me sad that it's it's the first of Samsung's phones. Although it's not. Samsung has some other devices without a headphone jack, right? The new tablet that looks exactly like an iPad Pro. Yeah. It's, like, it is also sort of wild that, like, they're there, you know? So the Tab S6, so it has a, a weird like notch that you place the stylus into, like a divot, which I on think is interesting. Yeah, on that's the back, not, that's but, not going to work. Well, maybe it won't work, but it still seems better than Apple's solution. Like if you have the keyboard case on this, the keyboard mm -hmm. case holds the stylus there, so it's like you can keep the stylus with. <laughs> the thing that uses the stylus. So I like that. But also the keyboard cover, it has a touchpad now. And you yeah. can like with one button go into Dex mode. And Dex mode has uh, a Linux, uh, uh, an app that is Linux that an runs in Dex. An app that is Linux. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically the year of the Linux desktop. I just want to, I just, hold on. It's an Android <laughs> tablet that has a secondary weird windowing system called Dex. Uh-huh. And then that has an app that is Linux. Yes. Yeah, that's all great. That's all wonderful. Which is, does the app actually <laughs> show you Linux? Or is it Linux like in another abstraction layer? I don't know. I haven't really used it. But I, some people <laughs> like it. Yeah. People apparently like it. And I think you can get like different distros on it. Like it, so the, the, it's different than what Google has done with the Chromebook is tried to completely integrate Linux with the Chrome OS desktop. Uh, and that's, it's been a long uphill slog and it still isn't great as far as I know. Uh, but you know, it's nice because it's all, it all it seems interoperable in theory. Whereas Samsung has more gone. Uh, Linux is an app, and if it you know it runs pretty well, and that could be enough for a lot of people, and it would you know you could probably get more done with fewer bugs probably right now. Yeah, I that's my understanding. I am curious to see how well Dex works. I do like the idea of a tablet that has a tablet interface when you're using it as a tablet, and then you know what? Screw mm -hmm. it. I need some Windows right now. I could just hit a button and get some Windows. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is something that I would use on an iPad. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Well. I am very happy that there's still tablet competition in the world, even if it, even if it's come to the point where Samsung is just like <laughs> blindly aping the iPad Pro, which is just look at a photo. I'm not wrong. Uh, and look, the Note 10 is exciting. 
I think yeah. we've been underplaying it because, you know, it's like the dead season and it's also the, the note. And, like, the note in my mind is, like, the, the question is still, like, will it explode? Like, that's, yeah. that happened. Like, we didn't, yeah. we didn't forget, Samsung. You made a phone that exploded. And then mm. you just moved on. But it's exciting. I mean, I love a new phone. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say this because if I don't, the, the Shield people will come for me. There's a new NVIDIA Shield at the FCC. <laughs> I said it. You can't say I'm ignoring the NVIDIA Shield now. <laughs> huh? Stop that, Josh Hawley. <laughs> I'm psychologically torturing you with my knowledge of the NVIDIA Shield. Uh, okay, that's it. That's literally all I'm going to say. There's a new one at the FCC. Maybe the same chip as, uh, as the, the new, new Switch. Switch. Yeah. That's what we think. By the way, you yep. can put Android on a Switch now, uh, which is hilarious. Which is all kind of the same thing as the because this is basically the the version of Android that uh, Nvidia makes for the Shield is yeah. the version of Android that runs on the Switch. So it's really all one big story. Yeah. See, Nvidia Shield. We were like got into it. All right, we're way over time. Thank you so much for listening. That one was all over the place. I didn't even talk about the Mophie battery cases for the iPhone XR, which are prevented from allowing you to use the headphone dongle. Yeah. Get on that, Holly. <laughs> look into the MFI program. <laughs> Why would anyone look into this? All right. That's the show. Uh, next week on the interview show, Paul Ford, who is a somewhat uh, legendary writer about code. I mean, literally, he wrote an entire issue of Bloomberg Business Week entitled What is Code? Really great conversation. He's coming up next week. We'll be back on Friday with this podcast. Remember, as you drive, you're being energized by millions of radio waves. It's happening. You can't stop it. Big Bang Theory is literally in your body right now. If you're listening to this over Wi-Fi, it's not just coming out of your speakers. It's in your body. <laughs> there are other facts. There are other podcasts you can listen to. Maybe you'll have the same body horror reaction. Maybe you won't. Why don't you push that button? Is great. Uh, that's out. Ashley and Caitlin are doing a great job with that show. Land of the Giants, Jason Del Rey's deep dive into Amazon. That show, it's just, it's a deep dive into Amazon. This one was all about Prime. Go listen to that. You can listen to Kara on Recode Decode and Pivot with Scott Galloway and you can listen to Peter Kafka on Recode Media. One of my favorite shows because I'm a huge media nerd. Go listen to all those things. Just think about radio waves in your body this week. That's what I want you to do. And when you have those thoughts, just tweet them at someone. Maybe me, maybe somebody else. But just share that idea with people because it's funny. That's it. That's what I got for you. Do you know which uh, frequency uh, microwaves use? It's 2.4 gigahertz. Do you know why 2.4 gigahertz was available for Wi-Fi? It's because it's a junk spectrum because it's absorbed by water. Guess what your what your body is made out of? Hmm? Yep. <laughs> Just stand right next to your router and see if this podcast <laughs> can get through your body. That's what I'm saying. All right. That's enough. Goodbye. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. 
Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.